Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. You ready? Mm-hmm. Go ahead, do your thing. Hi everyone, this is Norma. And this is Priscilla. And you're listening to It's, it's a, a Mystery, mystery for, for Me. me. Welcome back to another episode of It's a Mystery for Me. Okay, see, that sounded better. I sounded too happy. And this is never a happy occasion. What does make me happy, though, is that people are getting to hear these stories and more and more people are listening every week. Do you know, like, in the last month alone, we got 30,000 plus downloads? Really? In just the last month. (laughs) I mean, we're up to about 125,000 downloads. Mm -hmm all time and our one year anniversary is coming up on june 1st this is with minimal promo right this is with having to take time off because of work and other things we're really happy that y'all have continued to rock with us we appreciate everything the comments the likes whatever we love it all we see it all most of the time and we just want to say a major thank you And just letting y'all know, when this blows up, like big, big, we won't forget about y'all. We ain't gonna forget. We're not gonna forget where we came from, right, Norma? Never that. Nah, I feel like you might forget. Oh, no. Mm -mm. No? Okay. I will always be like this. Okay, anyways, in other news, I'm back from my vacation. I was in St. Martin. Y'all don't care, so let's keep it moving. (laughs) Norma is graduating. I am. From law school in two weeks, y'all. Yep. I don't think we're going to skip an episode because of it. I think we're going to record earlier. Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Okay. News to me. No, I think that's fine. Okay, cool. Yeah. Norma has not picked out her graduation outfit or anything. I had to force her to make a makeup appointment yesterday. And y'all mm-hmm. know, if y'all be booking like the IG makeup girls, you already know that calendar be packed, right? And it's like, Norma's waiting till two weeks before to make her appointment. She barely got one. Listen, I'm a simple girl. I'm like, I'll do it myself. Norma, this is like a huge occasion though. Yeah, I was, I was gonna like, re, re-watch videos on YouTube no, to make sure that it's on point. Stress stressed out about makeup and it looking right or whatever, just leave it in the hands of somebody else. Okay. Anyway. Well, it's booked, it's booked. Thank so. goodness. Um, I was thinking about doing a little bit of a Legally Blonde inspired photo shoot for Norma, but I mean, are you gonna be okay wearing pink? Yeah, I actually really like pink as of lately. And then Momo can be in the shot. I mean, Momo, we don't know. He's like unpredictable. Um, Where is he? He's laying down by my feet. Wow, okay. He's quiet. Shocking. Mm -hmm. But anyways, I don't know. It seems like a vibe. And we'll definitely share some photos of that on our Instagram page. And I say that because you know what? I get comments all the time, even recently. 
on one of my most recent videos on TikTok. About asked, me? Yes, asking to see you. What does that mean? They As want to see your face. Huh? Yes, like I've got. But but don't people already know what I look like? I'm I think confused. So. I posted that happy birthday post for you. Anyways, I'll be sure to post some more pictures of Norma. <laughs> I don't really be a taking pictures like that, post. guys. Like I usually um, take a good picture, like one or two in the year, and that's what I have. But that's you know? why you got me. I got the editing skills down pat, baby. I just don't care okay. for pictures. I don't know. Never yeah, have. Look at how I did you for your birthday picture, right? I hooked that shit up. That is true. That is true. I'm telling y'all, mm -hmm. magic. But anyways, we should try to do that photo shoot. You know, this is a big occasion. You're very chill about it, but it's like, Norma, it's a big deal. You just finished three years. I'm never of law going school. back. Okay, same. <laughs> to I don't school. Think I'm ever going back to school either. I'm not. Why really? are you looking at me like this? Okay. I have four degrees, y'all, for those who don't know. <laughs> I'm not going back. In other news, CrimeCon is doing another CrimeCon in Orlando in September. Should we apply again? Might as well. I mean, yeah. we might as well throw our hat in the Vegas. Is, is, Wait, is it in Vegas again? No, it's in Orlando. Hat in um. the circle. Oh, no, hat in the ring. <laughs> you just said Orlando, and I just I thought know. about Vegas. Okay, it's toss your hat in the ring. I guess we could toss our hat in the ring and um, see what happens this time around. I mean, at this point, by the time that crime con hits, we will have been doing this for over a year. And we'll definitely have more than 50 episodes. Not like those are criteria, but I just feel like it makes for a stronger application. Yeah. When you are black while podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> There's no real updates to the Lauren Smith Fields case. If anything, I know the senator of Connecticut was trying to push a bill where you'd have to notify a family about the death of their loved one. Like they shouldn't be finding out via a landlord, via like a neighbor, via whatever. So they're pushing that bill to be passed. And if you Google her name, that's like the latest thing that comes up. But again, there's nothing really on like the investigation itself. So mm -hmm. there's no updates there regarding that. But anyways, someone left a comment saying that I need to let you talk more, especially when like when you're hosting episodes. I interrupt you way too much. I'm not going to lie. I felt it. Really? Yeah. Damn. <laughs> I felt it during, yeah, during last, not last week, but the week before that episode. I mean, I'd be having questions. I guess I just got to like zip it and wait till like a better point to ask you questions. I mean, you asked all valid questions though. I know, but it's like. It was everything I was going to be talking about in that moment. You just kind of beat me to it. Okay, but I need to not beat you to it. I want you to tell the story. But I don't know. It's just the inquisitive part of me. And also, it honestly, I think a lawyer, like, I honestly think the lawyer side of me also kicks in in those moments because I need all the details. We're not cutting corners. I need them, like, right in front of me right mm -hmm. now. But I will take that into account. Okay, so on to this week's episode. I know some of y'all are like, finally. Well, whatever. Okay. Anyways, um, for this week's episode, I used a few sources, one of them being a TV show called The Real Murders of Atlanta. And yes, they are produced by the same company that does Real Housewives of Atlanta. Oh. Yeah. Very hmm. interesting. Anyways, 
yes, so I watched an episode of that. I found a bunch of court documents and that's kind of how I put everything together. There's actually not too much information out there about this case. Um, but I feel like I say that a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a common occurrence. And of course you can find all of our sources on our website at, do you want to say it? It's a mystery for me. Wait, www. No, just say dot com. Okay. It's a mystery for me dot com. I'm not cutting that or editing it either. I'm going to just leave it just like that. Whatever. This week's case takes us to Fulton County, Georgia. And I think that's Atlanta, right? I don't know. But we're going all the way back to 1996. This is the Josephine Holmes Cook case. Josephine Holmes Cook was born on May 8th, 1947. In 1996, she would have been 49 years old. Oh, it was just her birthday technically yesterday. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. I was researching this yesterday and it didn't even click. Wow. Sometimes I'm just going, going, going. Look at that. Maybe that's a sign. 75th birthday. Our good sis is a Taurus. I like Tauruses. Mm. I like Earth signs. I'm a Capricorn. Norma's a fire sign. Could you guess? She's an Aries. Little spicy I with mean, it. You know. Anyways. If you know, you know. Right. So not much is known about Josephine, and I know I say that a lot, but I'm I'm being really serious, y'all. Like, I don't know much about her at all. If anything, I know that she was a judge. Yes. Oh. Our sis Josephine went to law school and she was on the Superior Court of Georgia in Fulton County. You want to tell people what the Superior Court is? Let's, let's give a little law lesson on the court system. I can't remember. What the hell? Okay. So Superior Court. <laughs> <laughs> nice job. She's graduating in three weeks, y'all. I mean, two weeks, y'all. This is a law school graduate. Anyways, Norma's just like decompressing. So I'll take over. No worries. Um, honestly, this is something I did not know until I went to law school. I don't know about you, Norma, but I had no idea like how the court system worked. I definitely didn't know. I didn't know. Literally <laughs> no idea, okay? All I knew was the Supreme Court of the United States, okay? Because of course they're always talking about the Supreme Court decision and this and, and that, you know what I'm saying? So I knew about the Supreme Court. Sonia Sotomayor sits on there. Katanji sits on there now, right? There was that whole thing with Brett Kavanaugh. So that court is very familiar, however, States have their own system and the federal government has their own system when it comes to courts, okay? For states, you have a low level court. Sometimes they're called superior court, even Supreme Court, which could be confusing. I remember being very confused by this in law school. Um, they could have another name, but that's like the lowest level of the court system, right? And that's the level Judge Cook worked at, state level, okay? And then the second level would be a court of appeals type they can vary in names. And then the third level is usually like the highest court of the state. Now this is confusing. Sometimes they call them the Supreme Court. But in New York, our lowest court is called the Supreme Court. Our highest court is actually called what? Court of Appeals. Yes. And our middle court is called what? The appellate department or something. Yeah. Or appellate division. Appellate division. Mm -hmm. So it's like the names are confusing. All y'all got to know is there's three levels. There's a low, medium, high. Okay. The low level is usually like, okay, where the case happens to begin with. The second level is if you have any issues with your case, you want to appeal it for some reason, it goes there. And let's say you're still unsatisfied. 
with the judgment of the second level. Now you bring it to the third level, okay? And they're the highest court in your state. Now, federal level, the lowest level, they don't really have different names at all. It's called the district court, the federal district court. Second level is the court of appeals. They also don't have weird names either. And then the highest level, you guys all know this, is the US Supreme Court of the United States. Now, sometimes state court issues can be heard by the Supreme Court of the United States. Yes, the systems can cross over, but usually that happens only when some sort of like federal law interpretation is at issue in the state court decision. So basically the government is saying, listen, we wrote the constitution. We are the ones that like know what it means. If you misinterpret it, we can check you for that. We can like step onto your system, we could check you. So hopefully that makes sense. Anyways, let's continue with the story. So Judge Cook was a superior court judge. Some judges are elected to their positions and they're not appointed to their positions. For this judge, her position was elected. And all that means is like, people have to vote for you. Just like people go out and vote all the time for elections and stuff like, you know, the presidential elections. There are smaller elections happening in your community that can really shape your community. So you should definitely Google it and like keep on top of them because you can control what judges sit in a lot of communities. So anyways, she was elected in 1992 to a four year term. That is mm -hmm. usually standard four years, okay? So in 1996, she decided to run again for reelection. And imagine, this must be kind of like nerve wracking because again, it's not a position where you're like tenured, right? Like you're chosen and you're gonna stay on there and whatever until you decide to leave. It's like the public can decide they don't want you there anymore. And that's kind of annoying. I like, you know, solid things. I'm sure she does, she's a Taurus earth sign. So that must have been frustrating. But unfortunately she did lose the election in 1996. And what that meant was that at the end of 1996, she would have to step down from the bench. It's unclear if she had other plans or anything like that after the election, you know, but she would have to step down. So she did have a very full life. I mean, she had a husband. They had been married for 20 plus years at this point in 1996. She had a 17 year old son who was a junior or senior in high school. I'm not sure. It wasn't very specific about certain details. Um, but you know, she was living that life and she lived in a very, like, she lived in a very upscale neighborhood in Atlanta. I think it was called like Cascade Heights or something. But in 1996, like if you were living there, you were that girl, honey, okay? You had money, a lot of it. And it was just like a prestigious thing. She definitely was gonna have things to do after the fact, but her husband was a truck driver which I also found interesting. Okay, why do you think I found it interesting that she was married to a truck driver? Were you expecting her to be married to another judge or an yes, attorney? Yes, I did, but then I was like, wait, why did I think that? Um, but I feel like a lot of people around me, parents sometimes, be like, you have to marry someone, and you too. You be telling me I gotta marry someone at my level, whatever that means. I'm morally corrupt, so I have to marry someone who, on that level Krista, all i mean by that is you like nice things <laughs> there's a certain life okay. that you want to live yes. so i see it as someone that can keep up with you that's okay. it yes 
and you know financially what? too right and just like the title he could be a truck driver but truck drivers be making bank i'm not gonna lie they mm-hmm. do right and they only had one kid so you really are rolling in dough at that point you're married for 20 plus year you have one kid someone's a, a judge the other person's a truck driver it sounds great for finances for sure On the evening of October 16th, 1996, things get very dark. Reynard, who is the judge's son, comes home from football practice at around 6 p.m., 7 p.m.-ish, okay? When he enters the home, he sees his mom lying on the floor, blood everywhere. Now, different sources say different things. Some people say she was lying in the kitchen. Others say she was lying in the great room, which would be like a living room slash sitting room type of thing. But everything else, I mean, they're pretty consistent about the fact that this was a bloody, literal bloody mess. He leaves the house, he goes over to the neighbor's house and he tells them something is wrong with my mom, you need to call 911. And the neighbor's like, okay, like first she goes over to the house to just check it out. And as soon as she sees like blood, she turns around, she she goes right back to her house. I mean, if y'all saw blood, I think I would do the same thing. I would be kind of scared. I'm a scaredy cat. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you to sure a certain are. extent. And if I see blood, I'm probably inclined to run the other way. So she goes back to her house. She calls 911 and she lets them know, listen, like, my neighbor's on the floor. She seems unresponsive. Her son's telling me she's unresponsive. Can you please come right now? So, of course, the police do come. They call paramedics. But unfortunately, she is pronounced dead at the scene. But it's so bloody that the cops and even the paramedics can't even tell, like... Was she stabbed? Yeah, was was she stabbed? Was she shot? shot? Where's the wound? Like, they could not tell. I forgot which source said this, but basically it said that the paramedic, one of the paramedics, had gloves on. And it was so bloody that that the blood got on his hands either way. It was such a bloody scene. Wow. I don't know how that's possible, but it was that bad. And when they showed crime scene footage, like, on the show, it looked really bad. Like, imagine just red paint everywhere on the floor. You can't even see the color of the floor. It's just red. For all you know, you got red tiles. So the cops are immediately just, like, puzzled. I mean, this is a Red tiles? Like, you got red tiles on the floor because everything's so red from blood. Wouldn't it make sense to say, for all you know, you have white tiles because it's so red that you can't tell what's underneath? No, I think it makes more sense to say (laughs) red tiles because it's like the blood is covering so much that you wouldn't even know that white tiles were under it. You might as well have had red tiles. No, you might as well have had white tiles. Okay, we're going to agree to disagree. (laughs) We're going to keep pushing forward. Anyways, the cops were really perplexed by this scene. Um, Of course, because they can't find the wound, but also because they're just like going through mail. They're just trying to figure out like, who is this person? And Reynard was like still at the neighbor's house. They had not spoken to him yet. And they realized just checking the mail, wait, this is a judge. And you already know, this is like, I want to say judges and like lawyers, especially government lawyers, they're all part of team blue is how I see it, right? Like police enforcement, you know, law enforcement, judges, mm-hmm. prosecutors, all of them are like part of a little community. Mm-hmm. So you already know they turned up the heat when they realized that she was a judge. So at this point, when she was obviously found unresponsive, mm-hmm. 
how long had it been since her stepping down as a judge? Was she still currently a judge at that time? She was still a judge at that time. Okay. She would step down at the end of 1996. It's only mid-October at this point. Right. She's still a judge. She even has a t-shirt on that says re-elect Judge Cook. She was wearing that and just like panties and that's it. Oh, she was wearing it? Yes. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. What makes things more confusing is the fact that it doesn't seem like this was a robbery. I mean, credit cards are still there, cash is still there, even a Rolex. But what made it interesting to me, like on the show, you know, the white detective is saying this as if he's so amazed that a black person could have a Rolex. That's how it came across to me. Y'all watch it, you let me know. Hmm. But I was just like, Maybe because I'm just like, we are the elite, baby. We are the elite. Of we course. like nice things and we can have nice things of too. It was so. just the way he said it. You hmm. know what I'm saying? I felt like there was a little underlying shade, but he could have totally meant it as like, wow, a Rolex. Like I've just never seen one in life. <laughs> Norma's face is get, like- Probably just, not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So obviously at this point they're like, okay, it's clearly not a robbery. So they're just like walking around the house. They notice that Reynard's door is almost like broken. Like someone had kicked in the door almost. So they're just like, oh my God, like they found bloody footsteps basically leading upstairs to the bedroom and to like that area. So that's why they checked out his room. And Mm -hmm. when they did, they did find some weed under his bed and some cash. And the weed was packaged as if he was selling it. So like in very small quantities and Ziploc bags, all of that. So they were just like, huh, could this just be like a drug deal gone wrong? He had that in his mama's house and his mom's a judge. I'm t- Yo, let me tell you. <laughs> Think like about what? someone you know who has like a family member who's a cop. They'd be the most corrupt, not corrupt, but they'd be the most like, you know, they wild out. Yeah. They'd really be wilding out. Same with preacher's kids. I'm just saying. Anyways, they did end up checking out her bedroom and there was blood everywhere in her bedroom too. And in the bedroom, they also found a nine millimeter like casing from a gun and like the shell. I think they're two different things. I'm not a gun person, so I don't know. But I think when you shoot a gun, right? Like it comes out of a casing, but also like the bullet itself goes you know, sometimes it goes through and through. It did go through and through for her. And so maybe there's also like the bullet itself. Anyways, that sounds like mm-hmm. it makes sense in my head. But let me know if I'm wrong. Um, But yeah, they found it. So they're just like, okay, so we know what weapon was used. A nine millimeter Glock. But that's the most information they had. Because again, like they couldn't tell what was wrong with her and stuff. Like did she fall? Like they just weren't sure. So with her being a judge on the Superior Court, it kind of made the list of interested parties very long. Because as a Superior Court judge, she also heard criminal cases, specifically murder cases, things like that. So things that, you know, you might find to be a little dangerous to dabble in type of thing. She had to sit and preside over these cases. So Mm -hmm. immediately they're thinking a judge is killed let's talk to the people that you know have trials coming up before her who she has convicted like and and that could be a long list i mean she's Mm -hmm. on the bench for four years she started in 1992 can you imagine going through that list but again this is one of their own right this is one of their blue people so they're just like 
I'm sure they just like did what they had to do. So they did have a suspect from there. His name was Elijah Salahuddin. And apologies if I'm like pronouncing that wrong. But him and his brother were accused of a quadruple murder. Wow. Yes, quadruple, four. Yeah. And their trial was coming up before the judge. So, of course, they asked him questions. They got DNA to just see if they could match it to anything from the crime scene. But it turns out that there was no matches at all to any foreign person. He was eliminated. I don't know why they didn't talk about like whether or not they asked his brother. Maybe this guy had more of a like anger issue or mm. maybe had exhibited certain behaviors towards the judge. But yeah, they just focused on him on the episode. Of course, they also looked at Ruben, who is her husband, right? Husband of 20 plus years. They talked to him about his whereabouts and he made it very clear. Listen, I was on a job like driving somewhere they didn't say where but it was enough for them to clear him his Mm -hmm. alibi completely checked out so they're just like what what about the son well they talked to the son at the scene okay and they immediately asked him about the drugs and it was clear to them that he was a low-level dealer okay like it wasn't anything crazy he said he just wanted his own money and you know what it reminded me of Tariq from power you know what I'm saying? It's just always something with that little, you know what I'm saying? It's something with it. I mean, I like him now in Power, like, book two. He's amazing now. But, wow, every Sunday, I just would be like, good morning, everyone, except for Tariq, you know? But anyways, basically, we had a mini Tariq here. His alibi checked out. He was actually at practice. Yeah, so they did check out his alibi. It looks like he left the house at around 7 a.m. to go to school He did go to a very nice private school called Woodward Academy. I did pull tuition prices and today like pre-K would be like $19,000. So yeah, it's pretty up there. Um, Yes, I said (laughs) pre-K, wild, right? So yeah, it was a very prestigious school. You know, it's probably like more so predominantly white or whatever. Sometimes that happens, you know what I'm saying? Your parents be thinking like, you know, we want the best education for you. And then like the best education is often equated to like white education or like expensive <laughs> education. Yeah. So it was established that he left the house at 7 a.m. And that after school, he went to football practice. And that was from 3.30 to around 6 p.m. After that, he came home. He said that when he left the house at 7 a.m., he saw his mom. He talked to her and everything. And she was alive when he left the house. Was the dad home that morning? The dad was not home. Okay. At least that's what the show made it seem like, that he was on the road and, you know. So the dad wasn't home. The son was at school. And they did check his alibi and he really was at school. So so what now? What now? Because it seems like, if anything, there's, you know, we're hitting... A roadblock here for someone to be murdered in a ritzy neighborhood was already a big deal but the fact that she was a judge was just like insane it added more pressure to the police officers so like okay let's get this solved Mm -hmm. her funeral comes up um a few days later and people notice that reynard doesn't seem to be grieving as he should be grieving or how they expect him to be grieving and they do show video footage and he's kind of just calm But I know a lot of people who stay calm in the face of 
tough moments. So I always say like, that's hard to judge. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? We all like to point to that, if especially if we feel like the person's guilty. That's probably the first thing we point to. But like, I don't know. People show emotions differently. In the meantime, let's talk about what the coroner report said. So the coroner report said that she was actually shot right around the right shoulder. The coroner said that this bullet had penetrated her axillary vein. And this vein is one of the major veins of the upper body, at least according to Google, because I don't know. The coroner also determined that her time of death was likely between 6.45 a.m. and 11.45 a.m. on October 16th. Mm, Raynard, Raynard. Wait a minute, Norma, we ain't even there yet. I don't know. All I'm saying is like, he could have done it before he went to school. All right, let's see. I don't know about that. You said 6.45 a.m., so that's why I was like, hmm. To 11.45 a.m. I know, but I'm just saying. Let's keep an open mind. Okay. All right, so. So it was just one shot? I'm sorry. It was one shot. It was also determined that it would have taken her 15 to 45 minutes to bleed to death because it was an oozing type of bodily injury. Wow. And if she had received medical treatment right away, she would have survived it. The cops theorized that she likely was hit as she was lying in bed. Imagine you're laying in bed. You know how sometimes you put your hand to your face. You don't want your head on the pillow. So you're like, I don't know, you're on the phone. So your hand is like Mm -hmm. to your face. You're holding your phone or whatever. Such an uncomfortable position. But they think she was laying on her side with her hand to her face, her right hand to her right face or something like that. Okay. And they feel that she was shot while she was laying in bed. Like it would have been somebody, I don't know. It just seemed like the so cops she was shot basically that she was shot when she was laying in bed. She was shot in her room? Yes. So apparently she was shot in her room. There was blood found in her room? Yes. I said that at the beginning. I know, but I didn't think like it was that extensive amount of blood. Oh, yeah. So there was blood in her room on her bed the cops think that yeah the cops think she was shot in her room there's a phone you know it's 1996 so the phone mm-hmm. is still connected to the wall all of that the phone shows like blood on the numbers nine and one so you know she was trying to dial for help but it looks like the cord was ripped out of the wall so what happens is she makes her way downstairs bleeding out and they're showing like on the show, they they show basically how, like, each step she took, like, a gush of blood would come out. Oh, gosh. It was just oozing. Yes. So she was really struggling to get downstairs because in the kitchen or near the kitchen, there was another phone. But it seems like she died before she could reach the phone. Maybe the outcome could have been different if she decided to, like, run to a neighbor's house, you know, open know. that door. What if she wasn't given a chance? Maybe her assailant was still there. I guess, but then, like, why would you... I don't know. If your, if assailant, your assailant is still is, in yeah. the house, wouldn't you want to get out of the house? But what if they're preventing you from getting out the house? And you're injured now, so it makes it even harder to get out the house. I see what you're saying, but, like, her going to the phone is just... But I don't how know. would you overpower an assailant? to get out of your house after they've injured How you. would she even be able to try to dial? I don't know. Is what I'm, I'm well, just- I guess, yeah. I'm just trying to visualize it. I'm like, okay, if Maybe she had time- for a little bit and she tried. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, if she had a little bit of time to at least try to dial 911- Right. 
I'm thinking in my mind, like, was there a, an opportunity for her to try running to the neighbors, opening the front door at least, right. screaming for help? That's, I don't know. I don't know exactly. where the assailant is at this point. I just, I wonder. Yeah, and I don't know if a lot of those questions will be answered by the end of this, but I think we'll get some questions answered. So basically, around October 22nd, it's now six days later, they decide that they're going to question Reynard some more and just try to get as much information from him as possible. So he comes in, and he's accompanied by his dad and his uncle. And they wait outside, and he goes in, and he talks to them. They read him his Miranda rights. He does waive his rights. Which we say what, y'all? Do not ever waive your rights. It's like, I mean, unless it, you're like... But his mom is also a judge. I'm like, how do you not... Right, I, your you mom know? is a judge. You got a mom that is a judge and you're waiving your rights. Strange. Make it make sense. Okay. Basically, during this interview, they're just asking him, you know, can you tell us a little bit more about that day? Like, what happened when you saw your mom? He's like, when I saw my mom on the floor... I like cradled her in my arms like a baby. I was just like, mom, mom. He's like, yeah, I got blood all over me, all of that. Like it was just a lot and I ran to my neighbor's house. Right, so then the neighbor, they reach out to the neighbor and it seems like they reached out to her during this interview as it's going on, but it could have been after. And they just asked the neighbor, hey, when he came to your house, like, he was a bloody mess. Like, can we just like get more details about that? She's like, bloody mess, he was not, a bloody mess when he came to my house, okay? She's like, if he was a mess, I would not let him sit on my white couch and he was sitting on my white couch. He would have been standing in the corner or something. So at this point, they're going, huh, why say you cradled your mom? Right. I mean, and and emphasize that you got blood all over you if like literally minutes later, you walk over to the neighbor's house and like you have no blood on you. So they were already kind of like, Ah, okay. Then they asked him if he owned a gun, right? I mean, you got the drugs and stuff. They just, they're saying, listen, the math is math in here. One plus one is two. You got, you know, you're a drug dealer. You probably got a gun to protect yourself. So he's like, you know what? Yeah, I had a gun, but I got rid of it because it wasn't working. And they're like, okay, um, where did you get rid of it at? And he's like, I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood. They also ask his friend from school, like they, and let me tell y'all, they did like 200 interviews of just different people. So they ended up asking friends from school again. I don't know if this was during the time of the interview or afterwards. Hey, do you know if he ever had a gun? Cause you know how kids be, they'd be taking the gun to school to show off. And then before you know it, now everybody know that little Jimmy got a gun. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not Jimmy. <laughs> but in this case is little Reynard. So A friend, Damien, actually comes forward to police and says, listen, I know he has a gun because I know, like, I saw him buy it two weeks ago. And they're like, okay, what kind of gun did he buy? They said, a nine millimeter gun. The casing was nine millimeters. Mm. So at this point, the detectives are like, all right, like, if you tell us where the gun is, like, we can just clear you from that. And he kind of said, like, he didn't have time to show them where the gun was at. So you don't have time to basically make sure your alibi is okay. (laughs) Again, your mom is a judge and like, it's just not the transferring, like the transfer of knowledge, it just, it's not happening here. Clearly. (laughs) Um, 
At this point, the detectives start to get very, you know, aggressive with their behavior, very police-like with their behavior. And they're just like, we know you killed your mom. Like, what happened? Tell us right now. And it's like his dad and uncle kind of over here. And they want to pull the plug on the interview because they're just like, no, like, we want to talk to an attorney or something. Like, see, they're outside, (laughs) basically, vouching for his rights. Meanwhile, little Reynard is in here just, like, waving his rights. So anyways, they end up leaving. They do let him leave because they're just like, we don't have anything to hold him. We don't have a gun. I mean, he's not even showing us where the gun is. He tells us he didn't do it. Um, you know, it's a lot of circumstantial evidence, basically. And they're like, we need something more concrete, even though mm-hmm. we've seen them get people for less. But, you know, that's how it goes sometimes. So anyways, the next day, the police decide to, like, do some sort of, like, watch on the house. And they see Reynard getting in his car or getting in a car with his uncle and his dad. And they pull the car over once the car, like, leaves the neighborhood. And the uncle apparently says to the cops, like, are you here to arrest Reynard? And they're like, yeah, we are. We have an arrest warrant. I don't know what changed overnight, y'all. Like I said, I don't know. It looked a little circumstantial. You know what I'm saying? It just Mm -hmm. seems like to me that they convinced the judge to sign off on a warrant. And honestly, because it was one of their own, I could see why a judge would sign and say, yes, arrest him. So anyways... And then the dad offers like a weird version of events. He says, you know, Reynard actually confessed to me again. At this point, what did we learn about Miranda rights and just rights in general? And we're going to talk a little bit about Miranda in a second. But like just like offering words up to the cops. Why are you doing it? Why? But anyways, yeah. So the dad is like, well, Reynard told me that he did shoot his mom. But there was a man with a mask on who told him he had to shoot his mom. And that's why he did it. I mean, poor dad, right? Because I feel like the dad actually believes the story. At this point, I'm not buying little Reynard's story. I'm not. Once you, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, it's just the way, how is it that someone told you to shoot your mom? Yeah, why isn't that person doing it themselves? Right. Like, they're already in a mask. Like, are they trying to torture you? I mean, listen, it's not out of the ordinary to hear about people doing stuff to your family members in front True. of you to see it break you, basically, right? Mm-hmm. So is it far-fetched? No, but I just think what bothers me from all of this is like, Reynard, the gun could have cleared you and you showed no urgency in showing the cops where the gun was. So how is it that I, you know, how can I sit here and believe that like someone forced you to shoot your mom. Right. Because spoiler alert, the gun was never found. So, right. But let's just get to it because y'all know what's coming. They end up, of course, arresting him and he's charged with four things. Malice murder, which is technically what you would think of as like first degree murder. There's like a deliberation factor to it. Again, different states have different ways of naming laws. So he's charged with malice murder, felony murder, which means you are basically in the midst of committing a felony and then you committed a murder okay can you be convicted of both no you can't yeah i don't think that you can okay for, yeah. like no, felony murder no no i think that would be like it basically like merges or something yeah it like yeah. merges yeah. that's exactly it so he was also charged with aggravated assault and then being in possession of a firearm during the commission of a crime so they were just like we gonna really just throw it all at you 
and we're going to see what sticks. But at this point, really, all that they have is circumstantial evidence. Completely circumstantial. And honestly, if his dad didn't say anything, they really would have had less than nothing yeah. to go off of. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was no fingerprints at the scene, no DNA from a foreign person. Of course, that could be used in the prosecution's favor. It can also be used in the defense's favor to say, like, listen, this person was just really good at what they did. How do we not know it's it's not a hit? Yeah. How do we know contract it's not killer. a hit? Mm-hmm. It could be a contract killer. It's, it could be a professional. Mm-hmm. And basically... You know, like... Yeah, I'm surprised that there's no, like, fingerprints or DNA. No. But remember with... What's her name? Remember in the lawyer's case that we did early on? Remember that she was stabbed 34 times? Mm-hmm. And there was no DNA left? Or, like... Well, actually, like, they found, like, unknown DNA or unknown blood later on. Yeah. But yeah, so like, I remember. Remember, but it was just, yep. like such a shock to people that there wasn't really much even though the scene was so bloody when you're stabbing someone your hand slip mm-hmm. you cut your hand that there was really none of that mm-hmm. so it's not like unheard of um so basically they go to trial in spring of 1998 he does testify on his own behalf because yes you do have the right to do that right you also have the right to remain silent under the fifth amendment mm-hmm He chose to get on the stand. And I'm sure it was a power move by the defense attorney to just make him seem like a young kid, right? Like you lost your mom and stuff. Make him seem likable to the jury, basically. What if this was your son, your cousin, your nephew, right? Like he made a mistake or maybe he didn't make a mistake, right? Like he's being accused of this. Look at this. Mm -hmm. He has a bright future. Can you see someone like that you know in him? You know, it's it's basically a psychological factor. These attorneys... What it comes down to, um, and I learned this in law school, is not like the truth does not matter. It's whoever can tell the best story. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what matters. And it's insane, but it's true. People described him, like reporters that were talking on the show, described him as being very arrogant and cocky on the stand. And they don't really like dive too deep into what that means. But like, I think there was one part where they said he was questioning the prosecutor in like a very rude way you know a little bit of ego a little bit of like you ain't gonna get me but so his defense attorney did not tell him to like tone it down no and also like that could work against you being all cocky you should be very right that's what i'm saying right no like i'm I'm agreeing with you i think that if you have a client like that you want them to seem sheepish you want them to seem calm Mm-hmm. quiet, collected, mm-hmm. basically everything like the opposite of what people would think of when you imagine someone murdering someone. The jury goes into deliberation. I think I already said this, but this was spring of 1998. So two years had passed. They're in deliberations. It's like hour 20 at this point, And both sides start to panic. They're like, are they going to quit him? Like what's going on? It's taking a little too long. Usually when it's like cut and dry, the jury's in and out. Two hours, three hours, or whatever. So they get together, both sides, the defense side and the prosecution side. And, oh, I forgot to say, like, what... They deliberated for 20 hours without a recess? No, they had recess, but, like... Yeah. But let me say this before I get into that. So the prosecution's argument during the trial was that 
Reynard murdered his mom in an act of rebellion and rage. And basically that he would have had the motive, the means, and the opportunity to do so. That he was just fed up with his mom. They point to the fact that like he didn't have the best track record in school. Apparently he had been kicked out of like two other high schools. He wasn't like the scholar or anything like that. Hmm. You know, so they were pointing to these things. And of course, the defense was saying the opposite, right? Like he loves his mom. He would never do this. Clearly, this was something done by someone else. They are framing him. You know what I'm saying? Something like that. But anyways, yes, the jury was deliberating for 20 hours. Yes, they take a break with deliberations. Usually they break at the end of the day, which is considered like the end of the business day, 5 p.m. ish. So they break, they come back, but it's been 20 hours. So both sides decide, like, let's just talk because the prosecution's afraid, like, damn, they're going to acquit him. And the defense is afraid, like, oh, my God, they're going to convict him. Like, they're having such a hard time to de- deciding because that's what they want to do. So the prosecution gives a very sweet deal, okay? If you confess to killing your mom, you will get manslaughter and you'll get 20 years in prison. By the way, like, the other charges, we would have gotten life in prison, <laughs> Plus that. I hope he took it. So it gets even sweeter, though. You might think 20 years, that's a lot of time. But he would be allowed to serve only one year in jail if he promised to get counseling and if he actually like went through with counseling. They didn't say what kind of counseling. But again, a 20-year sentence, you would only have to serve one year of that if you got counseling. The fact that they gave this to a black man in the first place, I said, whoa. They even offered that because you already wow. know the system be against us. Mm-hmm. But I think it also was about the fact that, you know, the judges knew him, right? It's a little True. bit of bias True. there. The prosecution knows him. You know, it's mm-hmm. one of their own. They're probably like, let's just try to tie this up best we can mm-hmm. and call a spade a spade. And his family members, certain family members, they hear this deal and they look at him and say, if you take this deal... We will never speak to you again. Because again, he'd have to say that he killed his mom in open court in order to get this deal. Right. Now, I don't know if it was the matriarch side, patriarch side in terms of family tree. But obviously, this situation was very devastating to the entire family. And they just were like, no, if you are innocent, if you are truly innocent, stand 10 toes down. And he stood 10 toes down. And they knocked his ass down. They came back, y'all. They gave. He was guilty on basically almost all the charges. Oh my god, this makes me so he angry. Got life in prison. He does have the possibility of parole, but it was life in prison with possibility of parole plus five years, versus him just serving one year of a twenty-year sentence. So they found him not guilty of malice murder, which was the first charge. So if you watch the court video, they're like rejoicing. They're like, yes, like. And he's probably thinking, yes, like, I'm glad I didn't take the deal. And then they get him on all the other charges, felony murder, all the other charges. So I hope that they actually talk to him because what the hell? What do you mean? You said that his family basically said that they would disown him if he took the plea deal. Oh, no, they still talk to him. And he maintains his innocence, apparently, to this day. And just so you have an idea of like, okay, how long did the jury take to reach a decision? They actually reached a decision like 30 minutes after they had decided like, maybe we could do a plea deal. 
the jury came back 30 minutes later. Now, life in prison with the possibility of parole, I don't know how many years he has to do in order for him to get that possibility of parole. It's not mm-hmm. clear. Mm-hmm. Um, every state's law is different. But you figured he's been in prison since, what, 1998? It's been over 20 years. It's been almost 25 years. We're getting closer to 25. He should not have listened to his family because they, you know, like, okay, he's legally Mm -hmm. saying that he's guilty. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. The family just have to, like, kind of... I don't know, suck it up. And he should have listened. I'm sure his attorney was telling him, take the deal. I'm sure his attorney told him to take the deal. So he should have listened he should to... Have listened to the prof- he should have listened to the professional. The professional help. who actually has like a legal background. Listen to that. Well, let's say, you know? I mean, again, it's not about the truth. It's about the best storyteller and like who can get the best outcome. That would have been the best outcome for him. Okay. Now, if we want it, to be about justice, which we definitely want it to be about justice. It's no, like, I, I definitely do. I well, think I know. I'm the, th- I know. We're thinking like lawyers and we're thinking about... The reason why I'm swayed... Yeah, the reason why I'm swayed is because I feel that this case is very circumstantially based, right? right. Like, no fingerprints, no DNA. The gun is missing, right? Like, it looks bad for him to be like, oh, yeah, I was I was covered in blood and I was holding my mom and then I went to neighbors. But who knows, like, at the same time, maybe he was just trying to build up this story. So make it made him not look like a suspect because he was scared I of the situation. It could be that. He's a teenager yeah, at the time. It could be that. I mean, at this point, he's 19. But yeah, still a teenager nonetheless. Um His case would normally have come up under that Supreme Court ruling we talked about. What is it from, like, 2012, where they said you can't sentence a kid who committed a crime, 17 and under, you know, Mm -hmm. an egregious crime to, like, life in prison without the possibility of parole. However, he was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole. So his case does not get reviewed under that Supreme Court ruling. Mm. So he does not get an opportunity for resentencing unless he finds another way, like... Again, there's issues you can appeal on, and he does try to appeal on something. And we're going to talk about that right now, but I just want to make sure I didn't leave out any details. Like, he tried to explain away the whole, like, the door being broken, and he just said, like, him and his mom were play fighting, and that that's how his room door got broken. But the prosecution said that they feel like she must have busted in his room, saw the drugs, mm-hmm. and that probably started something mm-hmm. and that he likely killed her because before he that. went to school, waited till she was dead, went to school, made it to school on time, washed up and stuff, and then came home and pretended like nothing happened or basically pretended to be like, oh my gosh, my mom, like who did it? I mm-hmm. did, but like, <laughs> let me pretend not to have done it. Um, and the neighbor actually said that she had spoken to the judge the day before, like on the phone and how she could hear that there was, like, a very, like, loud exchange going on between them. Mm. And he apparently said, like, you know, she's always meddling in my business. Like, I don't know if he was the one on the phone and she said, like, what's wrong? Like, what's going on over there? Like, can you put your mom on the phone? Oh, yeah, she's just meddling in my business as usual. Here you go. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Could have been that kind of talk. But that's really it. Like, the case, um, you know, they don't really, like, do much of a deeper dive and... Clearly, it was based a lot on circumstantial evidence. And do I feel like his dad kind of put the nail in 
to this case, um, kind of by saying, you know, given the theory about the guy in the mask, um, I think that's something he should have brought to the attorney mm-hmm. um, before he said out loud. But again, it's hard doing these cases because I always think on both sides. I think as if like, what if this person were my client? And then I'm also like outraged because I just think like, you know, whatever. It's like, I think like a lawyer and then I think like Priscilla. Priscilla is always pissed. And then the, the lawyer side of me is like, wait a damn minute. You forgot your rights. Mm-hmm. The hell were you thinking? You know? But let's talk about this appeal um, this was filed a few years later, and I thought it was a very interesting argument because guess what it was about? He tried to appeal the fact that they brought in his like interview with police, right, where he admits like that he has a gun and stuff. He never admitted to shooting his mom, though. Like, let's be clear about that. Mm-hmm. Like, other than like his dad saying it for him, he basically said the court was wrong when they brought in his statements from October 22nd, that it was a Miranda violation. And when something is declared a Miranda violation, it has to be suppressed, which is something really bizarre to think about. And I remember sitting in law school and thinking there were cases where it was like so clear the person had confessed to having like a drug empire or whatever, but because their rights were not read, the court had to throw it out. Mm-hmm. So now the prosecutor had no case. Can you imagine? I had the I would have the biggest smile on my face if I got my confession suppressed. The the prosecutor is probably sick over mm-hmm. it. Like, wait, I literally have this person. Like, they told me they did it, and it can't come in because the cops forgot to read the Miranda rights. Yes, it happens more than you think. Okay, so basically, he said that he was not advised of his Miranda rights until two hours into his police interview. That's really problematic. Right. So that's what I thought when I read it. I was like, two hours into it, you were not advised. But the court actually disagreed. And it made me think about when is Miranda rights triggered? When does a cop need to give you your Miranda rights? I'm going to tell y'all so y'all know for the future. Hopefully you never have to be Mirandaized. Mirandaized? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you never have to be in this situation. But there are two things that come up. First is you have to be in custody. It doesn't mean you're in a jail cell. It doesn't even mean you're in a police building. You just have to feel like basically you're deprived of your freedom in a significant way. You, you feel like you can't leave the room. Mm-hmm. They make you feel that way. They're standing around you. You know what I'm saying? They come to your home. You know what I'm saying? You can be read Miranda rights in your own home, depending on the situation. It could feel like you're in custody. The other part of it is you have to be interrogated. And the interrogation part is just like about you being asked questions about this crime. And that's the interrogation portion. A lot of the times, the custody portion is the slippery slope of all of this. So the court actually says that there was no Miranda violation for him because, (laughs) and this ain't gonna make no damn sense. Basically, he was not in custody. They felt like he was not in custody. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, wasn't his ass literally in the police station with detectives, His like his father was waiting outside, his uncle was waiting outside? Yes, yes, that's true. But you know how you make it so that people are not in custody? You tell them that they are free free to to go, Mm -hmm. that they're not under arrest. 
And that's how you break the whole custody thing. So they told him that he was free to go? Well, apparently that has to be the only way because they didn't write too much. Like they cited some cases, it was local state stuff that they cited to support their argument. Meaning the court cited these cases to be like, this is why we're saying that, listen, you weren't in custody, which means you did not need Miranda, which means there was no violation. So I can only assume that it's that. Um, yeah. I mean, did he freely come to the police station to speak? Yes. Okay. He did. <laughs> I have my crim pro final coming No, up. yeah. <laughs> okay, so that, they're going to, yeah, they're going to argue like, no, he, you were not in custody. And when he was given the warning, he said okay, and he waived it, right? I think the other part of it, though, that was interesting to me is that he is 17 years old at this time. Mm-hmm. There has to be some sort of, factor and at least I thought that and then I went back to my criminal procedure notes and of course I had cases about like the most random stuff concerning Miranda I have a whole like 10 pages on Miranda rights Mm -hmm. there are so many ways that you can't even think of that someone could say listen it's not a Miranda situation okay so when it comes to younger people basically the court is just going to look at what another person your age and of your intelligence would interpret from like a situation. Yes. So would a 17 year old who is likely told like, hey, you're free to go. You're not under arrest. You can go at any time. Your parents are outside, whatever. Would any other 17 year old be like, oh, so I'm not being held in custody. I can go. Or would it, the person be like, well, I felt like I couldn't go. I would say it depends. Like not every 17 year old knows about that kind of stuff. I, I feel like a 17-year-old maybe in today's time with TikTok, social media, like maybe you you would know that. But I also just think it depends. Like the community that you, you grow up in, you just don't know. It's hard to know That's that kind I of said. stuff. And I said like, listen, people could just say to you these things, you're free to go, but they can make you feel. Like you can't go. Like you can't go. Yeah. Because then they'll start talking about like, well, if you were innocent, you would just stay and talk to us. It would be easier if you just talked to us. We could just get through this and you could go home. You know, there's ways for them to make you feel like you don't really have an option. Yeah. So based off of this, though, I mean, they denied his thing. And I felt like, I feel like that was actually an appealable issue. Mm-hmm. But I guess, you know, their argument again was that you're not in custody. You were not in custody. So, yes, you were being interrogated. We got part one of what, you know, when you need a Miranda. Basically, there are two parts needed in order for Miranda to kick in. You have to be interrogated, which he was being mm-hmm. interrogated. You have to be in custody, which the court said you were not in custody. Very interesting. Anyways, I'll definitely, you know, I got this from like the appellate documents. I will definitely put up all the sources and stuff that you guys could look into it yourself. But hopefully you learned a little bit of something um, about your rights. And um, and maybe, you know, a little Reynard learned some little something about a lot of things in this case. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't mean to pick this case because of Mother's Day and stuff. Like, I thought about it after the fact. Like, how morbid is it to pick a case that, like, yeah, mom is killed? But it was just like... It had been on my um, list for a long time, and I just hit play on the episode, and I was like, this is the episode I'm going to I'm do. glad that mom didn't, like, do a guest Yeah, I was thinking about doing, like, a crossover and have my mom do it. Imagine, like... like 
with us, but doing the story of the mother being like, murdered, she would think that like I was trying to send her a message or something. Yeah, like, yeah. mom just mean. like interprets things in interesting ways. But that's it. Um, that's the case today. He's still in prison. Um, you know, I could not find any more information, and I have no idea when he would even be up for parole. I don't know. What bothers me is the fact that he like did these things when he had everything handed to him and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I don't know. And that's probably why his mom, you know, was upset with him because he's dealing drugs. He doesn't have to do it. Like, look at, you know, the kind of lifestyle that they live, the community that they right. live in, like you're the school a he goes to. That you don't have to make. I don't know if there's any rhyme or reason behind why people become murderers or serial killers versus like president of the United States or something else, you know? I don't know, um, but I, I mean, Reynard, you could have just gotten a job. You could have, I mean, listen, your parents probably would have left everything to you in their will. You know, I just don't understand. I guess the greed could be it, but like he, again, he maintains his innocence, but I have to say, like, I'm leaning more so on the side that like he killed her. He snapped and killed her. What do you think? Um, I'm leaning more on the side of what the evidence says. Which is what? I feel like it's inconclusive because it, it just feels circumstantial. Huh. Yeah. You think so? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we'll and never I think that that's really why, know the truth. But I think that that's why the, it was a prosecution that offered him the plea deal. Yes. Of course. You know, like, that's what they had in mind because I felt like it could really go either way. Like, of course... The, st- the story of him murdering his mom, it makes sense. I think the motive is there, yeah. but just, like, the evidence just didn't match up. Okay. Like, I feel like you can explain it some other way. Okay. Other than what the father said of, like, oh, there was a masked person that told him to shoot yeah. the mom. Like, other than that, without that statement, I think you can argue it both ways. But even with the gun and him not wanting to, like, when they said, let's go find the gun, he said he had other things to do, that he was, like, too busy. And they never found the gun. I mean, they never found the gun. Apparently, the gun was not working, though, and his friend said that, like, that the gun was having trouble. So I guess that could play in his favor, where it's like, well, the gun was having trouble. How could I have shot her with my gun? Okay. I could see, I could see a little bit of that side, but I think I'm going to stay on this side. Let us know, though, and you know, on Instagram or whatever, whose side are you on? My side or Norma's side? And with that being said, I'll try next year not to pick a case like this for Mother's Day week. Um, but please don't, don't kill your parents, okay? Don't do it. Why? You're going to end up in jail. That seems really boring. You know what I'm saying? Live your life. Live your life. Choose to live your beautiful life. Choose to let your parents live their lives. And choose not to be featured on one of our episodes, you know what I'm saying, as the murderer, as whatever. So there's that. And stay safe out there because we live in a wild, wild world. It's honestly the wild, wild west at this point. All right. See y'all next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye.